Welcome to our Ted Lasso Talk, the Tedcast. Welcome, all Greyhound fans. Welcome, all you sinners from the dog track and all the AFC Richmond fans around the world. It's the Lasso way around these parts with Coach Coach and Boss. Without further ado, Coach Castleton. Okay, welcome back. Uh, Hello, everybody. Um, We are going to jump in with part two of uh, (laughs) season two. Season, what's happening? I'm already. I'm just. just No, no, no. I'm just laughing because we are seriously heading into our second episode about their first episode, and our episodes are, I don't know, four times as long as their episodes in the first place. So, just. (laughs) In fairness to us, though, this episode was 36 minutes long, where last season uh, they were usually 30 minutes. That's so we true. did need the two additional hours, obviously. So I think it's fair to say it's their fault. I'm, I'm just going to land there. I'm going to do yeah. that all season, so get ready for that. <laughs> oh, God. God, that's terrifying. <sighs> All right, so let's pick it up from where we left off uh, last week. We were um, – where were we, Coach? Well, we we had been out on the uh, the old pitch with Danny going over uh, Tom Cruise's uh, ponytail filmography, which is a pretty uh, specific uh, arm, uh, branch of knowledge. And then uh, Danny tried to do a corner kick that he usually could nail and uh, instead nailed uh, – our good friend Ted Lasso, right in the posterior. And uh, that, that had to hurt. That had to hurt. Right in the caboose. These guys kick hard. Yeah. They kick hard. Yeah, the idea of being hit at that distance by somebody who thinks they're kicking the ball halfway across the field, that did, I thought, wow. You, you probably should see a doctor. So he took a shot. All right, so let's pick it up from um... – they're back in the uh, in the coach's room. Should we should we start it from there? Yeah. So, uh, boss, you want to uh, walk us through the Diamond Dogs uh, reunion here? Yes, I do. And that didn't sound very confident, but I do mean it. Um, the first thing I'm going to derail us right from the start, and I apologize for that. But Ted walks in. The first thing he says is, "Well, fellas, I'm more stumped than Paul Bunyan's local forest," which. I feel like it's another one of those that maybe didn't land as much as we would like it to. It's it's kind mm. of funny, but I don't know what insight it throws into anything. And it doesn't seem overly clever. It just seems like more of a dad joke than we're used to from Ted. You know, that's fair. I, I You know, like it was one that um, I just sort of experienced it as like, well, you know, if, if Ted's going to say he stumped, excuse me, that's the way he would say it. Um, you know, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean that one that one did certainly didn't make me laugh out loud. So I think that's I think that's fair. <laughs> it was not it was like, oh, okay. Okay. Uh yeah. And but I did what I did appreciate is that it led us right into him sitting down and reminding us that he had just been nailed by that kick. And it, and and for me, what, what worked about that is like it's you know not high art in the terms of comedy, but it's one of the things I like about the show is that 
it's coming at you from different angles. So there's everything from got nailed in the butt with a ball, ha ha ha, to, you know, the more emotional stuff that we all dig into. So I, I, I appreciated that sort of uh, recall of that moment. And also the, the, the pain in this show is real. And I thought it was a good idea to not just have him get nailed like that just for the joke and then move on to the next scene. Like he would, he would need some ice. Like, I would think at this point he'd be setting the kit man for uh, a nice little ice pack. That part actually is fair. I do like that they made it realistic in that he was not walking it off literally the next scene. So fair point on that. I I will give you that. Um, I think we might have started a little bit last week talking about Nate's comment that if they needed to motivate Danny, they, they could always show him his goddamn paycheck. Unbelievable. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, not good. I didn't love that. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't like that Ted didn't seem to address it as much as he should have. Um, although I did like that he said the line, which I think we also touched on. Uh, but hey, I shouldn't bring an umbrella to a brainstorm. So I appreciate you getting the ball rolling. Which, at least in Ted's way, is a nice way of moving forward with the slight uncomfortableness. I am uh, Southside Irish Catholic. So uh, I prefer just screaming directly into a person's face when you think you've gone too far. (laughs) This is why I'm me and not Ted Lasso. You know, it's, it's interesting. We, I've, I've done all sorts of, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion kind of work or whatever. And one of the things that I I've learned about um, with this one assessment that we do is uh, that culturally direct versus indirect uh, communication is a very real thing. And it does create disconnects between people because one one person could be feeling it's an insult to be so direct and insult your intelligence by being so on the nose. And another person could feel it's a, you know, it's an insult to beat around the bush like I can take it. So it's, anyway, that's always been an area of interest to me. So the fact that Nate, given what we have found out about his father, that his answer to the, you know, to a guy traumatized by the fact that he killed a dog recently is, you know, we could show him his goddamn paycheck was like, well, yeah, that's direct. I'll say, um, anyway, yeah, I I feel like that line itself though, was actually the perfect combination that my two sisters and I somehow both ended up in relationships with what you would categorize as sort of non-direct waspy men. Hmm. And so the perfect uh, combination, uh, the perfect middle ground that I found, I should say, mm-hmm. is just uh, blatant sarcasm, which mm-hmm. there, then you piss off everybody equally. Nice. You don't need to worry about the, the cultural sensitivities because you're just being a bitch. So I, even though I don't love it from Nate, I do appreciate the little bit of sarcasm that he brings here. I'm a um, big fan of sarcasm. <laughs> I am. It's an angry form of comedy and, and anger. This this is a factoid is my blood type. So, <laughs> so perfect. So there's that. Wow. Perfect. Uh, you know what? The best part is that we haven't even gotten to the meat of the scene, which is where they finally talk about the yips and the fact. What? That what? I know, hey, I know. hey, I, this is an audio me. format. I can't not say it out loud. What do you, <laughs> I can't text it to the tens of listeners we have. Like, you're going to have to say it. <laughs> so That's an underappreciated line there. I'm going to go ahead and call that out. We can't text it to our tens of listeners. 
That was quality. Go on. I, I, well, I, I have to admit, I did steal that from uh, Luke Burbank's podcast, Too Beautiful to Live, nice. in which case he refers to his fans as the tens, but I'm still going to awesome. steal it. Not, That's awesome. Not going to refrain from that. Um, uh, so they go back and forth about how apparently the yips is not a thing in mm. England. They don't understand that they're not supposed to say it. They've right. got several <laughs> cultural references where... Uh, it's like not saying Macbeth in the theater or Voldemort at Hogwarts or mm-hmm. and beer chimes in soccer in England. Mm-hmm. Still, none of this is really landing with Nate and Higgins. Uh, they give out a few more examples. And I might have to throw to you on this one. Um, I don't know about uh, Chuck Noblock's throw to first. I do know about Charles Barkley's golf swing, but that's yeah. from SNL. Yeah, no, it's truly a classic case of the yips. I mean, you're talking about a professional baseball player who suddenly could not throw the ball. I mean, if you know where a second baseman plays, uh, you know, you're right there. Like, like he's a professional, and he was spraying that ball all over the East Coast. It was like, what is happening? Uh, you, could, you could have you could have two first basemen. You could have one first baseman standing on the other first baseman's shoulders, <laughs> and Chuck, Chuck Knobloch would have thrown it over both of them. I was like, heads. and it was yeah, like a crazy. true mystery. Like you just thought, like this is he doing this on purpose? Is it a joke? Like you couldn't believe. But yeah, he just you know, the, the your brain does some things to you. I mean, I did blank on Brett Goldstein's name last week, and a year ago I said that he could pr- impregnate me. So this stuff happens. <laughs> <laughs> your 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 fickleness is a big part of this show. I want you to know. I can live with that. I yeah. uh, no, it's yeah. really important to our to our brand is yeah. to make sure <laughs> the person you love today will be completely forgotten in a year. <laughs> That is, that's what we're all about. See, I, I was going to try to defend myself and say that I still, more than anybody, love Coach Beard, but only on this show, because in real life, I'm sorry, I've moved on to Pablo Schreiber. Sorry oh about it, goodness. Beard. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, Those I, of us who read your Twitter Twitter account know that <laughs> over and over again. It's a, it's a, it's a bit racy, that account. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. I um, actually try to tone it down a lot because sometimes I remember that a family friend, a friend of my mother's follows me on Twitter and also Kiri O'Connor. And I always feel bad after I make a blowjob joke that I'm like, damn it. <laughs> Kiri O'Connor is going to see me do that. I love I love that you've made enough oh. uh, blowjob jokes that you can kind of like parse through the experience, the, the post blowjob joke tweet <laughs> experience. You're like, I mean, after four, anything goes. But I mean, a noon blowjob joke. <laughs> My word. You gotta, you, you gotta know your audience, and unfortunately, my audience is, you know, my mom's friends. It's not great. Um, yeah, but this, my mom's friends. I kill with my mom's friends. I am, I am the funniest person in my mom's friends peer group. Um, you know, we should talk about Ted Lasso at some point. Oh, okay, sure. All right. Yeah. Uh, so where are we here? We are Nate and uh, Higgins trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah, sometimes being here is like living in a foreign country. That was funny to me. I like that one. I enjoyed the thoughts on therapy stuff. 
Um, so people who are afraid of it, uh, I thought uh, Sudeikis did a good job, kind of, you know, with his head shake. I mean, it's like sort of, it's sort of corny in a way, but it, it just, it, it worked. If you're scared of therapy and you have a reason to be scared of therapy, mm-hmm. um, it makes sense. If I were um, boss, uh, I wouldn't go digging. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that I'm going to tell you one of my favorite things that's been said on this podcast, and there have been a lot of favorite things, but I have actually had years of therapy. This is me after a professional has gotten to me. <laughs> oh, that's great. She was yeah. like, you, you aren't even around for my Twitter bukkake phase. Oh, man. If there Dear had God. been social media in my 20s, <laughs> in my early 20s, I like I would need to leave the country. I couldn't stay here if people had known what I was like back then. Ridiculous, <laughs> uh, boss. Whatever happened to your modest Midwestern skepticism? <laughs> well, a few things. Number one, somehow I ended up being friends with like the majority of my close friends are somehow in the therapy industry. Hmm. Like a lot of uh, psychologist majors in my undergrad. Um, one of my closest friends for 20 years is a school social worker. My older sister, who I'm super close with, is a school counselor. Um, you get into relationships when you're older. And if you want to maintain a relationship, sometimes you need to see a couples counselor to get some shit straightened out. You know, I think I've uh, maybe mentioned also before on this podcast a, a joke that I told about having two dead dads. So sometimes you do need to check in with a therapist about some of those things also. <laughs> You know, go figure. Um, I sort of resent that you made me laugh inappropriately. Like now, I feel like somehow, like I'm, like I've diminished myself as a human being for laughing at your joke. No, that's the that's the point. And and this is especially, at least for me, the Chicago brand of therapy. Where yes, I'm going to make jokes about dead relatives, but it's going to be from an advanced perspective. These are not off the hip jokes. Like I've processed mm. through these. I so, like yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I like it. This is a perfect uh, segue to bring in um, uh, a sports psychologist uh, onto the show. Oh. Uh, Higgins suggests that other clubs have had tremendous success. We have, you know, Beard gives it the hey, maybe look. And then Ted does the thing where he shakes his head no and says, yeah, let's do it. Um, and, and the primary reason we split up this episode into two parts, uh, other than just sheer laziness was <laughs> that this is going to take, this is a little bit of a, of a big bite. Um, mm-hmm. so a, as we introduce this new character, um, so I think, I think it's something that, that, uh, did you have a sense uh, about, did you guys know who the character would be going into it? Had you seen uh, no. previews of the show or anything? I, I very intentionally uh, avoid sort of those, I avoided stuff leading into season two. Um, I really wanted to go on the ride with them. So that was a, that was a conscious thing. Uh, so I, yeah, I wasn't sure where that was headed. I thought in real time, I thought the fact that, Ted said, let me put on my thinking cap. I thought in real time that that was significant because that is an un-Ted thing to do. So I was like, 
the mere mention of this has already knocked him off his square, as they say. Um, because he doesn't that he's not a thinking cap guy. He's a he's a he's a gut guy. He's a feel guy, right? He's a you know get a sense of the room guy. And to that he was like this. I know I'm up against it, so I've got to put on my thinking cap. I thought, oh yeah, this is going to be rich. Um, yeah, I didn't know where it was going, but I, I knew immediately. Oh, they, this is a problem. Had either of you guys seen uh, Patrick Bellotti, uh, who plays John Wings Knight before? Had you seen him in anything else? Nothing that I remembered. Um, it, it, although he seemed like he might have been one of those guys in a random British drama that I watched at some point. Mm. Yeah, he seemed familiar. Anyway, I loved him in this role. Yeah, yeah. I thought he, I thought he was note perfect in this role. Mm-hmm. Um, so we meet them. Uh, we meet him at the uh, double date. He, we catch him in the middle of telling a story. So uh, it's it's torture. He wants to kick a jerk in the balls, and it's he loves Martin Short. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh my god, it's just cringy. Um, and. Uh, meanwhile, Roy is uh, is. <laughs> but, I mean, it's like how often? How many times has he asked for a drink? Uh, trying to get a, a waiter to bring him another drink. Yeah. It's just nuts. Well, John Wings Knight is a knob. Like you, you can't go to dinner with him sober. Um, it, I feel like I don't know if we're jumping ahead to the end of the scene, also, or if we want to spend some time in the middle where he talked about which uh, club he supports. That felt. No, no, that's going to be great. But, but before he does that, he does the Roy Kent cheer all by himself. Like you have to sit through it. If you're Roy Kent and hear the whole thing, like when you hear he's here, you're like, Oh God, no, don't, you know what I mean? Like, oh, oh, oh but, but uh, yeah. wait, wait one moment. Like, can you imagine how, how the torture of sitting through yeah. the whole, um, yeah. Uh, well, except that John Wings Knight would love if somebody would do a chant about him directly into his face. Yeah, Kent is going to hate that. John is going to think it's awesome. I, it's interesting, though. I thought that I thought one of the things I liked about the John Wings Knight characters. Yes, he was a, he was a knob, and I mean, when you think, I love that it was Martin Short specifically because I would think if you had like one of those like portable fans i see uh people have like at the ball game you could blow martin shirt across the street so the idea <laughs> the idea that like your big like i'm a tough guy story is that you were like strategizing how you were going to beat martin short in a fight i would think i could beat martin short in a fight by mistake so i don't understand like why this is such a like feather in your cap <laughs> this was like a yes. so fun. So anyway, but I I felt for him in that you know he's obviously nervous and not just meeting the friends, but it's Roy Kent. Like I don't know, there was something about it that though he was a knob, I didn't hate him, and I and I felt I felt bad for him that like the worst person you could be telling this horrendous story in front of is Roy Kent, but this is where we are. I, I kind of liked uh, John Wayne's like, I, I know it oh. sounds crazy, but I've been friends with with Coach for you know twenty. Years. <laughs> <laughs> they got you. They got you warmed up, did it? Yeah, John and, Wings Knight seems like an upgrade to me. Um, uh, no, it, it, the whole thing is, uh, um, he, he, you know, he's clearly nervous. Uh, Roy asks what 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 club he supports, oh. and he bounces back between Oof. United and City, whichever club is winning typically. Oh. Um, that's uh, bad. I, I don't, why do that, why that do seems... we 
That seems fine. Like I know plenty of people who are both Yankees and Red Sox fans, just depending on the year or the seriously point of the season. That's oh, of actually. Not. Oh, I was like, wait, oh, what? God. I was like, wait, I was like, where have I been living? Like, what is going on right now? Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I was like, no, don't say that out loud. That's terrible. That is terrible. Yeah. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> but why? But. Here's my question gonna, to you. I was going to ask you, Coach. I was yeah. going to say, why is there nobility in sticking with a team? Why, why would, why do we consider it so uncouth to bounce back and forth between, <laughs> uh, you know, teams that are winning? It's much more fun to root for teams that are winning. I, I sure. look at Cleveland Browns fans, and I think you're, you're a joke. Like there's, I, 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 not that I dislike it, but I'm like, what are you doing? Why would you do this to yourself? It's torture. It's a form of torture. Well, it's self-flagellation. I, I think it's, I think there's a character thing built in, right? If there's a bit of you dance with the one who brought you. And if that's your team, that's your team. I will add to that though. And there's a, actually, I thought of a better example. My mother was a Mets fan. So she, you know, like when I was a kid and was baseball crazy, she would talk about the 69 Mets and how like years before that they were such a joke. And then, you know, 69, how magical it was. And they had, they had some lean years in the seventies too. And uh, there was something about them winning in 86 against, uh, oh yeah, the Boston Red Sox. That um, uh, okay. <laughs> I, knew, I was like, he's gonna really enjoy the shit out of this, isn't it? God damn it! But no, there was, but there was something in New York about the Mets doing it, and the true like, the, you know, there were those of us who root for the Mets, and then there were Mets fans, and for the Mets fans, I really felt great for them. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, Coach, and I, I don't, I told it to you at the time. When the Red Sox broke through, and I remember thinking, uh-oh, this is the year. When they broke through and won it, I was actually happy for Red Sox fans. I was like, they must be so happy now. But if you bounce from winning team to winning team, you never know that joy. Because you just root for the winner. But there's something about going through the lean years, going through the, like, I cannot believe three of you stood there and watched a pop fly fall to the ground days that make the World Series celebration just, you know, pure ecstasy. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Um, and and it was all those lean years do make it wonderful when you win. Um, there's something poetic about the epic failures, though, that I kind of miss. <laughs> and I think it's like it's just so, so much fun to look back on those years when we couldn't get it done. But um, yeah, no, it's uh, I, 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 I'm sure sports psychologists have done some research on why it feels important to stick with your team or loyalty to a franchise that's not loyal to you or, you know, something like that. You know, there's, there's a, uh, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I know one of us has switched allegiances recently. You want to talk about that at all coach? I, I, I can, I mean, I don't want to get us too bogged down, but I've been, uh, for those of you who've uh, been watching the NFL for a long time, I mean, I've been rooting for the Giants since, you know, Rob Carpenter was lining up in the backfield. And I was so and am so mad at them over what they did with Brian Flores and the fake interview and all that stuff that I really was like, you know what? I'm out. And so 40 years, 
<laughs> 40 years of rooting for the Giants, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm done. That was so messed up. So I am shifting uh, my allegiance to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I'm calling it because I don't want to be uh, just rooting for whoever gets out of the gate fast next year. It's like I'm rooting for because that's where Flores got hired. That's where the black coat, that's the Rooney rule is named that for a reason. And they're talking about hiring um, my man for GM, who's always on ESPN, whose name isn't going to come to me now. Uh, Riddick. Um, and so, yeah, my reaction is, yeah, I, I, I want to hang out with people who respect me. So that's, that's what I'm doing. I have to say that feels very different from bouncing around clubs, depending on who's winning. Like, right. I can absolutely imagine somebody growing up near dc and being a fan of the washington football team in Mm -hmm. like the 80s maybe even 90s by the time you get to 2020 you're like you guys have to change your name yeah yeah you have to and deciding that you can't support the team because of that like Mm -hmm. i don't think that this is john wings night's thing i think (laughs) what you did is pretty respectable Thank you. I appreciate that but no yeah john wings night sounds like yeah not, not not a great look for him no and this is coming from a person who, like, I have my teams, but if you're doing poorly, I'm not invested. I will not get my heart broken if you are the last in your division. Like, mm. then I'll attend a game and I'll enjoy it, but I'm not pretending if you are at 375 or whatever the White mm-hmm. Sox have been some years mm. that you're going to take it all the way. Like, I love you, but you need to do better for me. I like it. I like it. I mean, in, in fairness to them, they're doing better than the guys who get forgotten. <laughs> I mean, at least, at least you're not like White Sox who knew. <laughs> fair, very fair. <laughs> All right, so uh, John and Roy getting a little uh, little conversation. John mm-hmm. asks how retirement has been. He must miss it a lot. Uh, Roy says. I don't (laughs) just totally shit uh, from Keely. Um, John asked what he's been up to. He's been doing a bit of coaching and they have a cup coming up. John's confused. West London under nine girls. Fantastic. Uh, Roy keeps asking for drinks. And then Keely brings up the sports pundit job again, Mm -hmm. uh, which uh, Roy is thrilled about. Uh, Rebecca and John both say he'd be great at it. And, uh yeah, John brings up Roy's retirement speech, <laughs> which is a point of uh soreness for uh for Roy. Well, I here's the thing about that one though. This was actually where I found myself both liking and feeling for John. And it was because actually what he said was actually quite nice. And it wasn't like this is like the bouncing back from team to team. Okay. But like this was a very, I thought a very nice thing to say. And if Roy weren't in the space he were in, he might be able to hear that like you opening up helped a father and a son have like a nice moment. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I at this moment, I really did feel like give him a break, Roy. Like, you know, I know you're pissed off about it, but like, come on. Anyway, I, I felt for John on that one. Yeah, I should also mention, I don't think that John is a bad or despicable person. He is not Rupert. He's just sort oh, of yeah. a knob. Great point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, in his worst moment. Yeah, no, in his worst moment, he is in no way uh, Rupert. Yeah, absolutely. 
no, and he and he says like that's the first. Uh, you know, there's a little they sort of sort of put a pin in where his political leanings are. You know, it's the first time my father forwarded me an email in the last five years. It wasn't with the scourge of immigration. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I I think that you guys are. Uh, there's a. It's so funny that there's this. Uh, one of the worst things. You know, we're trying to. This is a. This is a paradigm breaking show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think none of us are ready to necessarily align with the with the concept that um not rooting for a t- or rooting for two teams at once to sort of protect your sanity or mm. or just enjoy the game on a on a lighthearted level is we everyone here would sort of think oh god that's disloyal or somehow mm-hmm. you know not the right way to do it but. Uh, you know, I don't mind John uh, Wings Knight. I don't think he's like a terrible guy. I just think he's, uh, you know, wh- what's the what is the benefit of being a diehard fan if it, um, you know, sort of takes a toll on you? Yeah, no, it's interesting. There is something. There is something there, and it's not the same thing. But for some reason, it's making me think of. Um, this came up in a conversation around drinks. And how we put all this weight on like what people drink. And I was telling the story, I was like 20 years old. I'd been a bartender for a while for this guy. And I went to another place he owned and he, you know, what do you have? And I had said a blue Hawaiian. I'm like 20 years old. And he, um, and he really let me have it. Like, like, I mean, it was jokes, but at the same time, it was clear that like, you can act like a man. And, uh, there are these things that we decide like, there was part of me that was like, John, be a man, pick a team, suffer with them. But why, why is that manhood? Like, I don't know why it's manhood, but that, but that was my reaction. Yeah, that's the prevailing thought. Even, even on this, this, uh, this crew of three. Yeah. Where we're trying to, you know, lean into the paradigm breaking element of the show, we still somehow find, uh, a vacillation around sports teams somehow disloyal. Right. <laughs> which, which is, that's insane. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. That's I, not that I'll do it. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I can, I can think of it as insane from a, from a sort of higher point of thought. But, but I'm also not going to stop rooting uh, for my teams, which is, which feels bizarre. Okay, so, uh, so anyway, um, John says cheers. Then we end the double date, um, and we we switch over to um, uh, Ted and Beard in a pub, and. Uh, May says it's a shame what happened to Earl and his owner Nigel used to come in all the time until he started shitting and pissing all over the place. And then what do they say, uh, boss? Ted comments that's pretty common with older dogs. And May says, no, I'm talking about Nigel. <laughs> Which, like, Nigel's still around, May. You didn't need to bust him out like that. <laughs> still funny. This one I did get a chuckle from because May always gets me. Um, it, also, I, I'm going to move ahead a little and cause I need to comment the coaches cheers to Earl and then the dialogue begins and Ted says, um, Hey coach, can I get real a second? Forget my meal a second. And beard responds, put down your beer and tell your buddy how you feel a second, which is a reference to Hamilton's song, right hand man, which mm. there is something about me that laughs so hard that. The only rap that Ted Lasso would be able to say on command <laughs> is from Hamilton. I feel like in real life, Jason Sudeikis might know a little bit more rap, 
But definitely Ted is like, oh, yes, this is when I get hardcore, when I quote that famous Broadway show. That is really funny. I think you're right about Sudeikis. I mean, like even the, you know, Bismarcky uh, reference in season one, I think episode one made me laugh so hard. But yeah, that's that's fantastic. I hadn't thought about that angle on it. But yeah, like he's like <laughs> taking it to the streets here with a little yes. Hamilton reference. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly that. Um, and then after that, they get into a conversation about why it is that Ted seems like he's a little bit, he- not a little bit, mm-hmm. but he's hesitant on therapy. Um, and after a, a little discourse about his favorite Gin Blossom song, mm-hmm. which is not Hey Jealousy, and that's the mm-hmm. Gin Blossom's best song, but his favorite song is Follow You Down. Clearing up that confusion, Beard says that maybe he's a little bit jealous. Oh, I, I am I am so their target demo. I don't know if Coach is, <laughs> but not. like yeah. I was like, I know this. Like I know the fibers of my being. Mm-hmm. Uh, these Gin Blossom songs. How do I know? That? I don't even remember listening to the Gin Blossom, but I know every word to all these songs. So, Coach, if you need any uh, translation there, <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm your Huckleberry. I, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a level of you know nuance that I, I miss seriously, but. Actually, I was going to say, this is one of the things I think works about this show and some of the references that are made is you can get the joke either way. And I do think that's a, that's, that is a tough line to walk for anybody who's written that way to get so specific and have, cause I, the, the titles tell me what I really need to know in the scene. Um, that they have this sort of language back and forth, Ted and his story. Like I, I was like, I get, I can be fully with you in this scene, um, even though I, I don't know that I've. I, and I, frankly, I may have heard both these songs. Like I don't, I have no. I promise that you idea. have. I yeah. guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting deal, but yeah, I, I thought, yeah, I will, I will reach out to you the next time. I'm like, hey, uh, they talking about white people shit on Ted Lasso. <laughs> And next time I pick you up when we get together, I'm just going to be blasting gin blossoms, like t- like t- tilting my head, like "Hey, man!" Oh, um, playing the yeah. Empire Record soundtrack because actually uh, the gin blossoms best song is "Till I Hear It From You." Just just putting that out there. It's a great, it's a great song. Coach has no idea what we're talking about. None. I know Absolutely every word. None. Every word. Um, okay, the uh, these guys start talking in the bar. And the the prime takeaway once we get past the gin blossoms uh, is Ted's reticence to um, to commit to therapy and uh, to trust people in that way mm-hmm. uh, because he's been burned in the past, which which is a damn good reason in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and a beard comes up with like something that uh, I guess it was a Ted quote, right? He said, "Oh, you remember what you told me." Um, and what was it? Uh, what was it, Coach? All people are different people. Yeah, I was like, huh. I, I sh- sorry, I just need to jump yeah. in and specify that's in response to the fact that uh, Beard was dumped by the cruise ship dancer. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He takes away. And yeah, he would never swear he never date another dancer again. I and actually, since we went back to, they did one of my favorite joke constructions on this show is when we reveal something about Beard's 
quite clearly sorted past. And he <laughs> and then he just kind of like has a sigh. Like at the so it's the men, you know, like as we wrap up this conversation, he's like, You went out with another dancer though. Many. Too many. Like I just, I don't know why. Like I feel like they could do that at the end of every scene, and I would laugh at the end of every scene with beard, you know. Um the tooth marks, all of it. It's always like that kind of anyway. Um I, I want to put a pin in something. I wonder. We're going to go through this season and we're going to have sort of divergent opinions of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I wonder if uh, Beard somehow comes out less scathed than others. I think that will be the case. I think there'll be less less disagreement or more agreement or whatever, but with around Beard. I think you're right about that. All right. So we're back out outside the uh, outside the pub at the double date with Rebecca and John. They come out holding hands. Um uh, you know, Rebecca isn't going back to his place. She has an early morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he hopes he did well. Uh, and then did you notice that he had a, um, a chauffeur, like, or somebody opened the car door for him? Did anybody catch that? I don't think I've registered. I mean, I got the sense they were two rich people being rich people, but I, I'm not sure I like specifically clocked the driver. I gotta think about that, but yeah. I don't know if we, I don't remember if we touched on this last, last season, but I, I'm always amazed that we didn't just sort of hate Rebecca, you know, considering the fact that she was chauffeured everywhere. Like she had somebody to open doors for, mm-hmm. like right away, that would be normally a, a way to just be like, eh, I don't know about her. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow she, she came out unscathed or not it may, it may have been in part because we know that at least the source of at least most of the wealth is Rupert and she'd been hurt. So it's more like, I, I, don't, I don't, you know what I mean? I think her having it isn't just viewed as like, oh, she's just living the life. Like she, she's definitely got, uh, she definitely got burned or, or paid for it on some level. Put it that way. I think that that's a really good point that it, she has all this wealth, but also having the wealth is part of the reason why she's as miserable as she was in the season. Like mm-hmm. it, it, ha- having that much money came with some costs for her. Yeah. And I, I think at the beginning of the first season, she was positioned as the antagonist. So seeing her do things that we probably wouldn't like sort of went mm-hmm. with the territory. Good point. Yeah. John John Wingsnight though did you notice uh Boston that he had a uh, uh someone open the door for him and he had his own driver I didn't but I was I think more focused on Rebecca's reaction to what was going on um especially uh there seems to be an inclination for women to be more excited about relationships that they're not actually excited about than for men to do the same hmm. like there's a societal pressure for women to be in relationships so you would want to be excited about the possibility of a relationship, even if you're not that into a dude. And I was already suspecting that she was not that into that dude. Why, 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 boss? Like, what, what about the way they she were interacting? Wasn't suspecting that, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. I'm curious what let you know. Mm, not really. Um, number one, I didn't see her being with a guy like John Wingsnight. Mm-hmm. Like, Rupert is terrible in a lot of ways, but. There seemed to be uh, a lack of self-awareness that mm. John had going on mm. that I felt would have put Rebecca off. 
Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't seem like a bad guy. Mm-hmm. He just seems like somebody with that would chant Roy Kent to Roy Kent's face and then also tell him that he hops around ball clubs <laughs> as much as he wants to. Like it, it, mm-hmm. Rebecca he's is he's there. He's every fucking way. Roy Kent. Man, and Roy like, Kent, you know how long that takes to say <laughs> when someone's just staring at you across the table. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I, yeah. I like him though. I don't dislike him. <laughs> I don't dislike him. I just wouldn't put my tongue in his mouth. Like mm. that that's what it comes that's down to. That's a pretty fucking low bar. <laughs> <laughs> Not inaccurate. That is wow. All right. Right away, Rebecca asked for the their opinion of John. Um, and this is the disingenuous thing. And we know that they're good friends. Uh, Keely's lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is like sort of uh, awesome moment for Roy, I thought. Um, so walk us through it, boss. So as soon as John is away in the car... Uh, Rebecca asks their opinion. Keely says, I think he's a really good match. He's age appropriate, financially appropriate. He's not shy. Those are the lamest things that you could say about a person. He's the right age is not a reason for you to be with somebody. Uh, <laughs> Rebecca says, I love that about him, but he's not shy. And Keely says, totally, which is the thing you say when you want to be supportive, but don't have anything else to say to your friend. Mm-hmm. So you're like, yeah, I know that you're Totally pulling that haircut off. When are you going back to fix? <laughs> uh, which is when Roy jumps in and says, he's fine. That, that's it. There's he nothing wrong with it. He says, fucking hell. Fucking hell. Of course he does. <laughs> fucking hell. He's fine. He's totally fine. I love that Roy just has no patience for, mm-hmm. you know, that bullshit. That, that, that's really charming. Uh, maybe it would be grading with another character, but for some reason... With Roy Kent, it's just like you're just like I, I'm. I'm like I love him for say it's just so honest and so straightforward. And you know, I've been lying. I've been friends with with Coach for 25 years, and I lie to his face almost every day. <laughs> so it's so nice that someone will just tell the truth right out of the gate. You know, I think I think after 25 years of friendship, it's very sweet that you guys talk on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> This is the only place we meet anymore. It's on this podcast. We can't stand the sight of it. One of the things I love about the rant, and I and I and I think it's part of the charm, is he really this is like the definition of tough love. Like if yes. he had said like right because like he also isn't really shitting on John Wigginglight. I mean like he's certainly not giving him an endorsement, but he's not like fuck that dude. He brought up you know rooting for two teams. He's no man. Like it wasn't that. It was just like he's fine. Like sure, okay. Like nothing wrong with him. And I thought presenting it that way to Rebecca automatically meant I think the world of you. Yes. Yes. And I think that's different than I hate your fucking date. I think yes. it's it's just a different thing. Because he ends it with, you deserve someone who makes mm-hmm. you feel like you've been struck by fucking lightning. Don't you dare settle for fine. Mm-hmm. That isn't about he, John is lacking. That is, right. you don't really like him. Like, yeah. don't sell yourself short because you want to be with somebody. Get somebody who is not fine. Yeah. 
And and now that you say that, because Keely gave him a great look on that line, and I didn't process it actually somehow until you just said it the way you did, which is he's essentially also saying, that's what I've got. Right? Like, it, like the, the mere fact that he's saying that's important affirms that with Keely, he feels like he's been struck by fucking lightning. Yes, because that's his reference for how he feels being yeah. in love. Absolutely. That's yeah. a great point. I don't know. I th- I love the part where it's yeah, that was all great, but I also love the part where he's like it- it's about why the fuck you think he deserves you. Mhm. Yeah. You know, don't you dare settle for fine. That's great. That's I I I just I love that. All right, so we're moving on. Uh not that it's any <laughs> then he says not that it's any of my business. It's so funny. Huffs away. God, I love Roy. Um okay. So uh we have a transitional shot we're outside the dog track at a memorial for Earl. <laughs> Uh, pillow reads, I woof you. I mean, come on. And a tiny dog pisses on the memorial, <laughs> which is um, Okay. Now, here is the moment that uh, we've all been waiting for or dreading, mm. depending on your perspective. Mm. Um, we are about to meet um, the erstwhile therapist, Dr. Sharon Fieldstone. So, Mm-hmm. Ted and Beard uh, are, are whacking a ball. Back. What is it? Pa- ball. It's and just Nate. a paper ball, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Nate, yeah. Uh, they're counting reps up to 440. Higgins walks in. Ted yells, Higgins, Higgins, look alive. And he, of course, being Higgins, doesn't catch it. Mm-hmm. And he is leading somebody else in. Ted says, on nuts. And Higgins introduces Dr. Sharon Fieldstone. Mm. Played by Sarah Niles. And she is going to be their new sports psychologist. I this scene climbing into it. It's it's what struck me was immediately understanding that Ted. It's funny. Ted makes everyone feel like they're special, right? But in a way. If you have a standard, your special song, it's not as special as it could seem otherwise. I thought that was interesting. Like, her non-reaction to it made me go, she's not altogether wrong. Like, I probably would laugh and think it's funny that they've got this thing and, oh, isn't that fun? But... Also, she was like, yeah, no, I'm not here for smoke and mirrors. And I thought I thought there was something valuable to that. Yes, absolutely. Completely agree. I love Dr. Sharon Fieldstone. Um, I loved the way that she reacted to this because, like, just to make it clear, dear listener, Ted does stand up and spin around in a circle singing, it's nice to meet you over and over again. <laughs> Yeah, and in the realm of adult behavior, as opposed to in the realm of the Ted Lasso uh, show, that is pretty bizarre. Yeah, like that—that that feels like something that you would do maybe in an elementary school if there's a new transfer <laughs> student and you need to make them feel like it's okay. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly. But right. that's but the playfulness is a part of Ted's personality, and he certainly wasn't doing it in any way other than. As sort of a welcoming gesture, oh, and absolutely. maybe it's maybe it's sophomoric, or maybe it's uh, atypical in in that in that uh, venue, or or or, or culturally different. Um, but 
she responds sort of in an ice cold manner. <laughs> she's just not just like nonplussed. And uh uh she's like, uh huh, that's uh what she said, there's two weird things in a row. Right. What's going on? Well that was after the uh the yips thing, right? Yes. She has oh, yeah. no reaction when the singing stops. And great. she only says, so I understand that Danny has developed a case of the yips. And then everyone screams at her. And then she says the line about how that's two weird things that have happened in a row. And she's not wrong about that either. Right. Well, what I, I mean, she says that's two weird things in a row. And you're right that she's not wrong about that. And I find myself going, yeah, and I like the weird. So I guess it's a both and, right? Like I one get why someone might walk into that room and go, what the hell? And I'm like, I love it here. Um, yeah, that's uh, it. It was an interest for me. It was an interesting combination. Sort of watch her be stone faced about it and think that was funny. Like when he was done and he yelled, "Hey!" I was t- I was charmed by that, <laughs> that moment. <laughs> I, I, so I feel like I should say that, and I'll get into this more later as Doctor Fieldstone becomes uh, a, a more developed character, but. I don't hate that the reaction, especially from somebody who is, whose profession, who a profession that she's incredibly good at, we learned in just another scene, uh, is dealing with people's emotions and mental states, and she does not love everything that Ted does. Like, I think mm-hmm. that this gives us a perspective that Ted's way works in a lot of ways and is great mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. you don't need to be Ted in order to do some of the things that Ted is able to do. That's right. It's a way, not the way. Exactly. I, I think I'm a. I think I'm in the minority in this. Um, in this uh, analysis of this interaction, because I found her. Uh, was it aloof or distant or? Uh, oh yeah. Somehow, like I wasn't charmed by her unwillingness to play along, or sort of like at least be. Like okay, this is the environment here. I'm coming. I'm a. I'm a. You know, someone being employed by this. Whatever. This is the dynamic here. Okay. I'm not saying she has to play along, but she seemed, at least from the outset, uh, very standoffish and resistant to accept that culture, and 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 maybe it was because she feels more comfortable enforcing her own sort of, you know, rules or or like professional dynamic. I'm not sure, but I know like you know we'll, we're gonna. Uh, sort of split this apart a little bit, but at the very end of this scene, you have Beard going, <laughs> she was nice, right? Like, right, sort of right. like, a, she, oh, she seems, seems fun. fun. Right. She seems fun, right? And it's like this, that is a very different thing. It's our, It's the first time we've had a, uh, a black uh, woman character on the mm. show, right? Am I, mm-hmm. that, that's like, right? Uh, a main character. Right. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Wait, sorry, I'm forgetting the name now of the Girl from the first season who kicks the ball around with Oh, Ted you're right. Also- you're 100% yeah, right. Yeah, but not a pri- right. No, no, right, but not, not a not primary a character. Part. Yes, not a big Yeah, this part, is like a main character. Shout out to damn it, name I'm forgetting right now, but that's a beside point. I don't know. I think it was interesting. And and I I thought uh, yeah, she has to acknowledge she says that's two weird things in a row. What's the deal? Um he says, "Well, doc," and she says, "Doctor." Mhm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So, so I I want to just jump in and let you know I was charmed by the 
Ted and crew side of it and was firmly with them. I was not, I, I didn't, I didn't find her. I I found it funny <laughs> that she was literally humorless, but I didn't, I wasn't, um, I wasn't charmed by her in that scene. So if I expressed that in a way that wasn't clear. No, no, it's good. So you're a race trader is what you're saying. <laughs> There it is. <laughs> only, there it only is. 12, pod, 12 episodes in. We got to it. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so um, are you going to – I really – so the thing that sort of turned it around a little bit for me is she kind of approaches Ted mm-hmm. and she's like um, – are you good at your job? You know, she's like, don't look at them. Put all that bullshit humility aside. Um, hu- mm. Bullshit humility aside, and be honest with you. Are you good at your job? Yes or no? And I was like, oh, that's mm-hmm. I like this. Mm-hmm. I just like like that assertiveness, and and she's just sort of really cut through the bullshit, whatever the bullshit was, sophomoric bullshit that these mm-hmm. these little boys are playing dress up, and you know, and she she's a you know obviously an adult. And she she cuts through it. And um, are you good at your job? Yes or no? He says yes. I believe you. As mm-hmm. good as you're at job, I'm twice as good as mine. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, well, fuck you then. <laughs> I was like, well, how do you know? <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> That's a hell of a thing to say right yeah. out of the gate. Yeah. And maybe she was just trying to provoke him, or maybe she's just trying to establish herself or build a status or something. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, imagine saying that Do either yeah. of you have the ability. Can you imagine a scenario you were, where you would go into a new place no. of work no, and be like, I've never met you before, right? but trust me, I am better than you at right. my job than you are yours. Yeah. It's a pretty amazing thing to say. Um, and, and I thought their reactions were great. I mean, I thought them all sort of <laughs> like, we're lucky to have you here. There were a few lines in there that I thought just were. Yeah, that was cute. Um, but yeah, I mean, she definitely made it clear, like, I came to play. Yeah, I think I, even I cannot imagine walking into a brand new place of employment and saying mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Although I will fully admit there have been a couple of times uh, in meetings at my current place of employment where I have had to assert that actually I know what I'm doing on this. And so we're, it's a way of not proving that you know what you're doing, but just stating it as a fact and then Mm -hmm. being able to move on from that. Mm -hmm. I think that is definitely important for women in the workplace. And probably I would not even be willing to bet. I am stating is more important for women of color in the workplace Mm -hmm. because that's how society works. Unfortunately, um, I also think her job is to come into different places and fix the problem and leave. So, like, mm. it, it would be one thing if she needed to develop relationships with everybody on a, a coworker level, but she does not. She was supposed to be there for one session. So she's coming in and telling them, I know how to get shit done. Mm. Let me go get my shit done. Yeah, good point. You know what I thought it was? I thought it was, for me, that moment was, do you guys remember the movie Malice with Alec Baldwin? Do you guys ever see that? Very vaguely. Oh, yes. Same very vaguely. Uh, I have an MD from Harvard. I'm board certified in cardiothoracic medicine and trauma surgery. I've been awarded citations from seven different medical boards in New England, and I'm never, ever sick at sea. 
Mm. Do you remember that line? He gives it. No. You guys should watch this. Oh my god, it's such a great speech. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Um, but it's amazing how uh, we, as a civilization or a culture, default to uh, confident manhood or, or man being confident in his in his vocation. We're like, that's cool. And the minute that uh, uh, that a woman is is you know, sort of equally confident in her gig, we go like, oh god, what's her? Right. Take it down a little, you know, what's your problem? So anyway, I thought it was, uh, I enjoyed how she asserted herself there and sort of cowed all the men in the room (laughs) and, 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 uh, yeah, impressive. Uh, no, this is, I like this. Yeah. I I like the next thing that turned it around for me. Yes. She says, uh, what's the record of the handball game? And he says 1,236 and she says, impressive. And I like, what I okay, I liked a couple things about it. So she she again literally been humorless, right? And suddenly there was just this like glimmer, like there's this little ooh. That I mean that she would, but she doesn't say, "Oh, cool, that's fun." She says impressive. <laughs> yes, right. Like it was an interesting, yeah. like it was just a glimmer. It's just a little glimmer that there's somebody in there. So at any rate, I thought, yeah, I like that moment a lot. Yeah, I, I will say one other thing, especially I loved that line. I loved impressive. I thought that that was great. Um, I liked that the number that they had reached, the 1,236, was the same amount that Roy owes Phoebe for his swear job. Yes! Mm-hmm. Yes! I liked that. Yes! Um, I also like, though, it, so there's a phenomenon that happens a lot on social media, but especially on Twitter, where a woman will make a very dry joke. And you'll get a bunch of guys in the comments explaining to her why she's wrong about the thing that she was joking about. Um, I unfortunately cannot find the quote now or the tweet now. And so apologies to whichever hilarious female wrote this. But a woman wrote, I'm interested in getting involved in sports. Is there a season I should start with? Which (laughs) is a good joke. Like, that's a good joke. And then there were a bunch of dudes in the comments about like, oh, well, the way that the seasons work. Like, yeah, man, that was that was the funny part. We got the funny part. Yeah. So I liked this sort of like nod to her having a drier sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And that, let's be honest, when there was a room full of men playing a game at their job where mm-hmm. they play games, she mm-hmm. came in and told everybody what was going to be happening. And then sort of tease them for playing their game. Like the impressive is that she was impressed, but also she was like, oh yeah, impressive. You're doing that handball game real good. I'm going to go solve somebody's mental health issues. Talk to you later. <laughs> it's right. It's true. Actually. I love that. <laughs> I, yeah. I love, I love, I am going to go solve someone's. Yeah. But that's right. I mean, that's exactly <laughs> what is happening. So you guys, good luck with the uh, paper ball Olympics. And uh, yes, I'm gonna go work now. I like that. Be- before you I've do your tra- rubber ball game, mm-hmm. I've been trying to figure out my feelings about this scene for a long time because, on the one hand, I think it sets up a weird dynamic. From from if you if you pull back from the show perspective, mm-hmm. I go, did that scene actually work? Did they did it do what they wanted it to do? Oh, interesting. What was the impressive moment? And the twinkle in her eye at the end, supposed to sort of exonerate, like the the opening where she didn't laugh, or and like it's supposed to like it, does that bring her into the fold? Does that mean she's like one step ahead of them? I thought it was cryptic enough that I'm I felt like I wasn't sure how I was supposed to feel, mm-hmm. except that when Beard says she seems fun, 
that I was like, okay, maybe I'm not supposed to like her. I'm more supposed to be afraid of her or, or that, that sort of thing. Um, so I felt a little bit, I didn't, I would uh, just pulling back. I wasn't sure that this scene worked the, that the way that they completely intended it for it to work. Hmm. Um, and I didn't know how to feel, um, coming out of it. Did you guys feel more comfortable in, in your analysis of it? Like, did you feel like I know who I like or who I don't like or what the stakes are? Or, uh, were you okay that it was a little nebulous? I was okay with it being a, a little nebulous because it felt to me the way it feels when you meet a new person. You know what I mean? Like, you might, maybe it doesn't go so great. And you're like, well, maybe, you know, it was just a bad moment or it, does, it goes fantastic. And you're like, well, we'll see. I, I, it felt it felt more like that to me. I certainly got the sense she was an interesting person. So I think that, I guess that trumped it for me, whether she was actually fun or super serious or whatever she was, I found her interesting. And but she came into their chamber, like the chamber mm-hmm. where they do their their bullshit, mm-hmm. and she shut that shit down. <laughs> like, right? Like they they have a, a modus operandi, and she was like, "No, no, nope. I'm the captain now. No, I get it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I think that I was a little more comfortable with it. One because I believe that there are people in the world who could be happy and, uh, you know, not dealing with mental health issues and be good, decent people who would not love Ted's thing. Like, I believe that that is true. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, I, I yeah. think there are people out there who could know Ted and understand him and be fine with it and just not want to be involved in his whole deal. Yeah, I, I, and I'll say, I think I will uh, use my wife as an example. Um and I think Daphne loves Ted Lasso. We've enjoyed watching it together. We have a, a marvelous time. I think Ted is someone she very much enjoys on a screen. And I think yes. if Ted worked in Daphne's office, his life would be in danger. Sure. Yes. <laughs> and that makes me like Daphne even more. Because I, I think like she'd feel like if you would shut the fuck up and stop yes. beatboxing and get the fuck out of here. So I just think, yeah, no, I think you're on to something there that there's, you know, you can see how not everyone would love that, that, that part of things. Yeah. And I like that this seems like a character who... It's not that she needs to fix something the way that Rebecca did or Mm -hmm. the way that Roy did when they were both hesitant to Ted's Mm -hmm. whole thing, but just someone who gets what Ted is doing and respects it, but from a distance and doesn't want to be involved in it. Coach, I like that you just married a meanie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also known as a grown up man. (laughs) <laughs> um all right so we're we uh she is out uh we're at higgins office um uh well we're higgins insists that she uses office um mm-hmm. ted brings uh danny up to dr stone and introduces him um she asks how you're feeling he says like a murderer <laughs> danny's so lovely um and this was interesting she asks him to sit and tells ted she doesn't need his help mm-hmm. and kind of ushers him out the door now, um, yeah. Uh, did you read anything into this? Oh, s- several things. I mean, one, the fact that she spoke Spanish 
um, I thought was a just a magnificent touch. I thought that was an amazing choice. I don't know whose choice that was, but that was really top notch because to me it said if it was a few things. One, she's now able to have a level of connection in exactly fifteen seconds that Ted can never have. Like he can have the rest of time with Danny, and there's a certain level of connection she's created right now that he can never get to. But beyond that, it to me it speaks to how educated she actually must be. Like not only is she a person who like a Premier League team would have recommended to them, I would assume, like they're not going to like google it, right? So like she's that well known and whatever that she's at the top of her game. She's so confident that she's at the top of her game that she'll walk into your office and tell you that she's better at her job than you are at yours. And by the way, she knows Spanish. Like you just kind of feel like she may teach everybody about Tolstoy before we go. Let's see <laughs> how this fucking goes. Like how smart is this goddamn lady? Um so yeah, no, I thought it was I thought it was great. I was really when she started speaking Spanish, I just thought that was fantastic. Yeah. I love that. I also, I think one of the important things, especially with her saying like, no, Ted, you don't need to be in the room for this. This is my deal Mm -hmm. is the way that therapists in particular need to draw boundaries Mm -hmm. within their profession for their own mental health. Like the people that go to therapists most often are other therapists because your entire day is dealing with other people's trauma and shit. And Mm -hmm. like, you do need to have very firm rules about what you're going to do and not do mm-hmm. in order to keep a li- like Ted's whole thing is breaking down band- boundaries and her whole thing is putting in place the ones that she needs in order to do her job. So I completely understand why they would be, you know, at butting heads about that essentially. You are twice as good at Ted Lasso commentary <laughs> than I am. That's so good. The boundaries thing, like, I literally, my my jaw <laughs> dropped. Like, I'm so sad right now that we're not a video uh, operation because my jaw dropped. That is absolutely 100% correct. That's exactly right. Wow. I did not catch. Nicely done. Nicely this, done, boss. This is the benefit of being friends with a bunch of therapists. <laughs> yeah, nice stuff. That and sometimes I get free therapy because I trick them out of their boundaries and make them diagnose me. So that's it. <laughs> just keep drinking. I just wanted to chat. I, I'm going to get you that shirt. I trick them out of their boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll right. be my second favorite shirt you've gotten me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, all right. So we are. Uh, uh, we're in a restaurant with, um, well, we have a little little cutscene, little little uh, physical comedy with Higgins uh, dropping his pens, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're back to uh, Rebecca and John's lunch date, or we're not back to it, but we we arrive at it. Um, John is telling another story about <laughs> some other <laughs> famous person that he got in an altercation <laughs> with of some sort, and uh, walk us through the scene, boss. I. I- I will, but I need you to know, I felt wildly uncomfortable watching it, Mm. specifically because of the way, 
I believe that there's a person out there that would be utterly charmed by John, that would mm-hmm. love the stories, mm-hmm. that would think that he's hilarious, that would be into the cheesy chanting Roy Kent at Roy Kent. Like there is somebody out there for John, but Rebecca is not it. Yeah, correct. And and not only did we hear that from Roy, but this entire lunch date, I was like, oh, this is going to end uncomfortably for me. And it does. Um, mm-hmm. Rebecca is sort of listening to John, looking around the room, looking at couples that are some on their phones. There are other ones that are sitting close to each other and seem to be genuinely enjoying their time together. There's a woman by herself. And then she cuts in when uh, John essentially says, like, are you paying attention at all? And she starts talking about how weird dating is and how it's essentially... Finding out if you want to give somebody the ability to destroy you emotionally and sometimes financially, depending on the state of your relationship. Mm. Like one of my favorite shows of all time is uh, You're the Worst about two horrible people who fall in love with each other. Mm. And when they're falling in love, one of the things that she says to him is, we're really going to do this. We're going to go ahead with this relationship that we know will destroy us eventually. And he says, I love the way you think. And I'm like, yeah, this is this is it. This is everything I want from a TV show. Yes. <laughs> like dating, falling in love, being in a relationship. People talk about how happy and fun it is and the joy that they bring to you. And it's those things. But also it's the here is a person who is going to make me very, very sad at least one time in my life. And mm. I am inviting it in. Mm. And so she makes this point, and then she dumps him, which I kind of loved. I have to admit. Well, I, I, I the dumping. Uh, I thought it was, in a way, what I also I liked even how that was handled. I mean, it's impossible to not take a. It's it's impossible for someone to dump you and to not take it personally. I mean, come on, sure. But at the same time. It was so not about him. And yeah. even what she said about it was not about him. It wasn't, oh my God, I can't listen to any more of your I almost punched this famous person in the face story or like pick a team already or anything that would make us go like, really, Rebecca? Like, I think seeing that woman by herself and realizing that's an option too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um... I don't know. More than she broke up with him, I felt like in that moment she chose herself. And and for me, that made it interesting. And I felt bad for John because, you know, again, he's just here minding his business trying to keep the conversation going over coffee. You know, he didn't do anything. But um, I like that it was choosing herself, which really was the message from Roy. Yes, absolutely. Um, Yeah. So and then, you know, the nice little touch of, you know, the coffee's on me, I thought. There it is. Yeah. They seem like maybe they would be good friends. Yeah. I, I would like to point out that uh, Rebecca sort of mistakenly, as she's stumbling through her own thoughts out loud, says that she needs to be brave enough to let someone wonderful love her. Yeah. Which which is a little bit of a dig. Like, yeah, that was hard. That was that, hard. That, yeah. Although that did make very clear to John that he was being broken up with. Um, But I I don't think that there's going to be any hard feelings walking away from this. Like, this was not a love connection. I think it's fine. I don't think John had the sense that he was someone wonderful either. Um, I I don't know. It's funny. Mm. I I thought 
I thought that, yeah, when she said that, it was clear that it wasn't him. Um, but I thought the, the face, um, uh, Patrick Bellotti, who played John Wings Knight, the face he made when he realized what was happening and mm-hmm. when he said cheers at the end that the drinks were on her, like, I thought his performance was note perfect on this show. Just, yeah. just absolutely flawless. It made me really like him as an actor and I just want to, you know, see him in some other things. But I just, I just loved every minute of whatever he brought to the table. I just thought it worked so well and it fueled exactly what Rebecca didn't want. And I thought it was just a, you know, they say there's no, uh, no such thing as a small actor. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, wait, no, is that the right thing? There's no such thing as a small performance. Role, right. A small role. Yeah. 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 Right. I, I thought he killed it. I thought he killed every, every moment he was on screen. And, and I ended up thinking, God, what a, that was just, he did a great service to the show. Well, yes. And, it, for me, it, it it he was a full human, and I think that character in particular, throughout you know just cinema and TV history, can be really overdone and either mustache twisting or on the woman's side this horrible you know shrewish you know kind of and and. <laughs> And instead, you know, it's like, you know, he's just, you know, he's kind of corny and, you know, whatever. He's living his life. He's like a nice guy. I mean, she even talks about the fact that he's very nice to her. You get the fact that he adores her. My sense is if they had kept on dating and he'd be, you know, buying nice gifts and paying for lovely trips and, you know, um, yeah, he just wasn't that dude. And I, I, I like that. And I think they do that. I think this show does that as well as almost anything I've ever watched. That even the people I don't root for particularly or don't, you know, get to spend a lot of time with, I, I still find myself recognizing and appreciating their humanity. Like, I never even met, what was my man's name at the, uh, the, 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 the Indian restaurant who was a driver in the first place? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, but, uh, Ali. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I, I didn't even meet his, um, father-in-law and i feel like i know about the father-in-law and i'm glad that ted you know made him feel good about his food you know like the off from off screen so i just think this show just does a great job of um respecting every character's humanity yeah i i absolutely agree i think that um the role is actually surprisingly great because it is very hard to write a character that you feel almost neutral for uh-huh. like I don't, I don't hate him. He is Great. corny. I do think he's a knob. He would not be a person that I would spend a lot of time with one-on-one in a group. Maybe he would be mm-hmm. fine, but it does feel like a really difficult needle to thread in order to get somebody that you want Rebecca to break up with, but don't want her to destroy. So I, I was happy ah, with I liked it. Well, I, well said. I will say one of the things, even though I liked the role and I liked the interaction, I liked the way they developed it. I don't know why he's here in that. I don't know what it does to advance the story. I have thoughts on that, but I think, well, I think we're watching Rebecca like sort out a part of her life that she never got around to sorting out. So I think in a way, this is a date we might expect a 22-year-old to have to suffer through and figure out how to get out of this situation. But because she's not 22, we're kind of like, what's the story here? Yeah, um, duh, boss. 
But you know what I mean? Like, you know, she climbed the, you know, as, as Sassy pointed out, she climbed the stairs of the, the you know. So I just think, like, I just, to, to me, it felt like she was playing some catch up on all of this. Even her, like, looking around and, oh, yeah, dating is weird, isn't it? Like, yeah, and I imagine if you've been married for a whole long time, you know, that would really hit you that, like, oh, God, now I got to deal with this thing. Anyway, that was my, that was my take. Yeah, I, I mean, there's definitely a part that I understand that this is part of her coming to terms with herself, especially coming to terms with herself outside of her marriage, mm-hmm. which has been a big part of her identity for the past 14 years, I think they said. Yeah, something, um, something like that. I, I guess it's more so, I don't understand. It felt like it actually moved too quickly from her being giddy at the beginning of the relationship, mm-hmm. talking to Keely about this, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the episode about this relationship, to uh, all of a sudden at the end of it, we're never going to see this guy again. Like, it, it felt like it didn't make enough of an impact for me to appreciate it within the rest of the story. It's not building on anything uh, else. Okay, I see that. I, so maybe if he's two or three episodes he lasts, then all like maybe we're kind of a little more invested in it. I I, I get that. Yeah, I think that, and again, this is part of my, like, needing a lot of warm-up in order to feel something emotionally. But I, like, when she was talking, I I wasn't hit emotionally at all. I was like, yeah, Bex, this is a thing. Like, this is a thing you should know about. But I wasn't drawn into it. I didn't feel compelled by it at all. And I felt like I'm going to try not to compare everything in the season to the first season. But I felt like this was a little bit of wasted space where they could have had more of an impact if they had either cut this and focused on a different plot line or developed this as the plot line and cut other things. That's going to be a complaint to have a lot, just to give everybody (laughs) a little foreshadowing there. Um, Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think it it deserves to be a continued conversation, so I won't belabor it now. But yeah, I think I, I, I see what you're saying, even though that wasn't the way I experienced it. Yeah, this is a safe space, even if you're wrong. So, that's cool. <laughs> um, so boss, did you uh, uh, did you think that we should uh, see? The thing is, just structurally, they have to put someone between uh, Rupert and um, the the real whoever, whoever, love interest. Whoever comes next, yeah, yeah, yeah right. So, um, so realistically. Uh, you know, I think it's just like a procedural thing they have to sort of crank out. And I thought knowing that there, there needed to be someone in there, they did a good job as, as well as they could have done um, trying to sort of wedge that in, in uh, you know, with everything else going on. That was my sense. You know, just since we're sort of, sort of taking a step back and thinking structurally, in so many ways, I love the the you know streaming platform slash you know cable network hey we can have a season that's as many you know episodes as we want or as few as we want this might be one place where we miss not having a little bit more season to the season because in some ways maybe structurally we had to get through to the next thing in a way, in 10 episodes or 12 this time, that if you'd had 20, two, certainly, um, but even if you had like 15 or 20, you'd have a little bit more room to do some of the work you were pointing toward. You know, it's interesting that you said that, because of course I felt the opposite. What I thought is that they had 
as many episodes as they needed and too much plot. And I, I, mm. I, I don't want to get too far ahead with what's going to be coming in later episodes on the very off chance that there's anybody out there that's watching these, the episodes and listening to these. I don't mm. want to do spoilers. For but sure. For love of God, I don't know why you're doing that also. It's a different thing. Mm. Um, it, but I would have rather them postponed the later relationship developments mm. and focused more on Rebecca figuring this out about herself. Yeah. I, I mean, not in part because I don't want all of her development to be romantic relationship based. Like I know that she's developed a strong relationship with Keely and that that's been really important, but first season was her getting back at Rupert and second season is her falling in love. And I'm like, mm-hmm. does this woman do anything besides date? Cause I know that she does and I need to see it. Interesting. I, I absolutely agree with you about that point. Yeah. That was a, that's going to be something that becomes very apparent and something that also kind of stuck in my craw as well. Um, yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think you make a good point, and uh, we'll we'll explore that a little bit more um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as we go further. I, I think there's this moment that happens in this scene, and maybe it's just um, I don't know. It could just be my perspective, but you have this moment with where Rebecca, who has been trapped in a in a relationship uh, that has you know deeply hurt her for so long, where she's sort of discovering other things about herself and about relationships. And it's funny because she is doing the work as coach might say. And so (laughs) it's like, it happens to be doing it across from John wings night, but it was so clear to me that he hasn't done the work and he knows he hasn't done the work. And he knows when I need to be brave enough to set, let someone wonderful love me. And he's like, Oh, I know that's not me. I know I'm not wonderful. Like I was like, Oh my God. Like, there, there is a thing that happens to certain men of a certain age or men of a certain uh, socioeconomic background where they think they're good enough. You know, they think they've done enough of the work mm. and they just plain haven't in almost any area of their life. Mm. And um, I, some of them are sort of grating when they go about it. And one thing I thought was a nice performance note about the John Wings Knight character was he knew right away, you saw in his face that he was like, Oh God, I'm, I'm out. Like mm-hmm. I just lost, I just lost her. I know I'm not the person, uh, who's one. I'm not someone wonderful, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I was like, wow, that is, that is like, I thought that was great. I thought these little beats in this scene were, were, you know, extremely well handled. It's funny in terms of how they presented it. Now that you're pointing to that, I think, and I thought this when I watched the episode, one of, well, one of the times I watched the episode and the you the it's almost the inverse i don't know if that's quite right but at any rate it's it 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 stands in an interesting way next to ted's uh anxiety uh anxiety attack in the a karaoke and it was almost the like super calm take on it oh you know the music, the meaning okay. in the music, the sort of looking at life and up to, you know, it, I, that, I had that thought at one time. It wasn't something that was on my mind as we were having this conversation, but there, to me, it was, yeah, it, it absolutely was not a nervous breakdown. It absolutely was not an anxiety attack, but it, there was a, there was a sort of startling bit of like, where did that come from to it? Um, 
yeah. did have Amy Amy Mann's song "Wise Up" playing as she's <laughs> studying the other couple. That, right. that always helps kick into a different gear. But yeah, no, you make a good point. Yeah, I hadn't considered that, it, but that was Ted not being able to handle mm-hmm. something during a scene with Rebecca and music, and John absolutely knowing exactly how to handle it. I will say his poker face was pretty good. Like he might have been devastated. I don't know how many dates they've been on. So maybe he was just slightly worn right. out, but definitely he didn't get angry. Mm-hmm. He didn't get pissy. He didn't whine at her. He didn't beg her to give him another chance. He was just like, oh, okay, well, that. I think for me, it um, there will be more in later episodes about an inability for people to connect on the levels that they would like to with others Mm. and what it means when you find somebody that you do connect with like that. Um, I believe that John has been told before that he is a very nice guy and that that has always led to disappointment on his part. Mm. So I, I think this is a bummer for him, but I think like if you like who you are as a person, if you like being a little bit corny and Mm -hmm. you know, you're okay telling Martin short stories uh, about how you tried to get into a fight with him. Like maybe it is better for him to be alone too, rather than with somebody who is with him because he's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, no, 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 no. What? Well, it's, you're saying it's better for him to ultimately be alone. I think it's better for him to be alone than to be with somebody who doesn't feel like they've been struck by fucking yeah. lightning. I agree with that. I think I see. I don't don't think a relationship with him lends itself to that. I I would love. I wish there was a a web series about the ongoing dating catastrophes of John Wings Night. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I liked uh, Patrick Bellotti's performance so much. I I would continue to watch that. I just want to see because it was like. There was something in his reaction where he's like, "Oh, this again? Like, oh, oh, did it just happen?" Again? Yes, I know, that I, know I did is. get. That like, I this did happens get. to me all the time. I, all I do yeah. is tell stories to try to fend this off, and if I don't let them talk, maybe they won't break up with me. And you know, like, mm-hmm. I, or like whatever it is about him, mm-hmm. he seemed to know the second it happened. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, God, he's adding such depth to this character. I just, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, I can't believe that I'm the one saying this, but I believe in my heart there is a person out there who would love John mm-hmm. Wayne's Night Stories. I believe that there is a woman who is a little bit dorky mm-hmm. and tries a little bit too hard to impress, who will find him charming and endearing and think that his Martin Short story is a little bit cool and will happily go with him to City and United Games and cheer just because she likes cheering. Like, I don't think that he is, He at least he doesn't give me the impression that his issues are because he isn't fundamentally a good person, which is usually what leads to not being able to work on romantic relationships. Mm. Um, like he doesn't seem like he has a lot of mental health issues or demons that he's battling. He just seems a little bit cheesy and mm-hmm. dorky. And as soon as he finds the right cheesy dorky woman, I think they're going to be great. Listen, listen, like this I, is I, I, I believe no, you're right. for every head. A hat for every head. Here, here's one thing I want to say. Exactly. I thought, when you make a when you craft a character like John Wingsnight, I'm flattered by it as an audience member. 
because it isn't over the top. And he's not the sheriff of Nottingham. And he's mm-hmm. not a mustache-twisting blackguard. Mm-hmm. He's sort of a decent guy and sort of a knob and sort of a pathetic guy and sort of wonderful and sort of vulnerable mm-hmm. and sort of kind and and sort of sort of cool that he clued in right away that she was breaking up with me. And he took it like a champ and said, mm-hmm. thanks for the for – the co-. I, I just think like in general – that's a very, very well-crafted character. And I thought at least um, it served the purpose of moving Rebecca's story along to a place where, yes, ultimately Rebecca, we need other elements of her life. Like we just need that fundamentally. But if you're going to focus on um, sort of her dating life and getting back on, on, on the out, out in the dating circuit type of thing and putting herself out there emotionally, I thought he served an excellent purpose and uh, it was just incredibly uh, uh, well done as far as uh, crafting that character. I'm going to stumble into, and this is my film studies background sometimes, uh, you know, getting in there. I'm going to give a piece of credit that the show may not even uh, deserve. And that is this. In sports, which there are a lot of sports phrases and references, when you say that a, a player had a cup of coffee in a certain league or with a certain team, that means they were in, they were out, it was quick, they were done. And I do think as we sit here now and talk about this, it just struck me that Wings Knight had literally had a cup of coffee with Rebecca. So if the writers didn't mean to do that, that's just one more reason you should hire me. And (laughs) if they're, I'm sorry, was that inappropriate? Um, No, but, but no, really, if they, no, but if they really meant it, that is amazing. And even if they didn't, it sort of, it it gave me like an extra bit of uh, texture there as, as we were just having this conversation. Well, the last thing I'll say in John Wayne's night's favor is that the three of us have talked about him now longer than he appeared on. That's accurate. So obviously there is something compelling about the character. I agree. We tend to do that, but I, I think he did a great <laughs> job. I, I uh, started looking for him elsewhere to see what other shows he had done because I thought he did – it was such a mm-hmm. uh, just excellent performance. Um, okay. So the the lunch date ends. Uh, we're back on the pitch. Um, and who comes running out? Danny Rojas, Danny Rojas. Uh, just like we first met him um, back in episode, episode six of season one. He asked Ted, uh, asked Ted if he can uh, join the drill. Oh, coach, can I join the drill? Right? Mm-hmm. And um, he says, yeah, just take it at your own pace. Um, and we look around and we see who is watching from up top, coach. There she is, Dr. Sharon. And uh, looking down on the on the whole scene. Very, uh, although we, we misuse it this way, but stoically. Uh, she's, very, she's, not giving, she's not giving much uh, emotion one way or another. Okay, now here's a moment where it informed – I was wondering how I felt about her introduction scene. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying – okay, owning all my various prejudices and trying to say, okay, like, all right, uh, you know, would I inherently judge uh, one character harsher than another because of latent things I have going on that I'm not aware of? Mm-hmm. And, and not knowing how I fe- felt about it because I was – I felt – I came out of that scene going, wait. Mostly, I think because of what Beard said at the end, like that she was nice or whatever he said. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, oh, we're, are we not supposed to like her? Are we? Supp- I, I just really wasn't sure how they left it. And then she comes out, Ted waves, and she doesn't wave back. 
And I have a specific take on this, but I'm curious what you guys thought about just not waving back to someone who waves at you. Uh, I think part of it is I'm wondering, you said, should we like her? Should we not like her? I'm wondering if we need to. If we need to in order to appreciate her as a character and if Ted and his team need to in order to utilize her as a therapist. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that goes back to my idea about drawing boundaries, but. Yeah, but it's it's still a show. It's still a show. It's still a show. It's definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's still a show, but um, I I don't know. Maybe she didn't feel like waving. Uh, Maybe she thought that Ted was trying too hard to win her over and she was intentionally making sure. That he knew that's not so, wait. Work. So you're saying that yeah. that didn't bother you at all? That one person waved to another person. You're from the Midwest. I I mm-hmm. that maybe this well, is a reaction I'm, to your Midwestern culture. But like you were totally cool. Like one person, hey, how's it going? And and nothing. Yeah, I mean, I need to stipulate very quickly. There's a difference between Midwest and Chicago. <laughs> like this, I it's a thing that shocks a lot of people. Apparently, but. Chicago is not exactly like the rest of them. Okay. So in Chicago, it's cool if one person waves for the other person to just (laughs) like patently ignore it. Mm. And if you saw that happen as an interaction, you're a third party watching that, you would be like, yeah, cool. Um, So I will say the other day, uh, I I was back in the office. We're slowly coming back after all the unpleasantness. uh, And I was walking past somebody's office and said, oh, hey, how's it going? And she said, good, how are you? And I said, eh, and then just kept walking. Like, I was on my way to my desk. I'm not, I couldn't stop and have a whole conversation. I was about to do a thing because I was at work. So, like, there are some times where, yes, honestly, I, I sometimes, like, hey, I sometimes mm-hmm. forget that we shouldn't be querying you about human emotions. <laughs> this is very accurate. You guys, you have not even gotten yet to my whole spiel about how, while I am sympathetic about some things, I have absolutely no empathy. And I'm going to introduce that in a later episode, but that is a thing about me. So, yeah, don't... If you're asking about how people act normally in the world, I am not the one to ask. Coach, didn't, did it bother you that Dr. Sharon doesn't wave back? It, okay, so if... I witnessed it like you just laid out. It would bother me. I'd be like, be nice. Leave him alone. But the fact that I would say be nice, I think, speaks to why I get that why she didn't. Because I do think his wave. His wave is meant to disarm her. It's not just hello. Right, his wave. Oh, so you, see, you see it as like a, it's like a shot across the bow. It's like a volley. That's his disarming. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's like it's, in Dungeons and Dragons, it would be like a throw. You're like a, you're trying to change the the, the outcome of the of the dice roll. Yeah. So you're saying think, he, that yes. you think it's a loaded event. It's it's biscuit. It's biscuits with the boss in a different form. And and so I think she's saying you're not gonna dunk me in milk. Like I'm here to do my thing. I do what I do. I don't want to be dunked in milk. Leave me alone. And I mean, part of me says like my instinct, but my 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 wife will tell you for all the ways in which I have a horrible attitude, I will I indulge a lot of people. So if he waved to me, I almost certainly would wave back. Um, but I, I would bet a million yeah. dollars that you would have waved back. Yeah. No, yeah. 
Yeah, I totally think so. But I, I got, I got that that character might not. I don't think it's a very nice of her. Really, um, it didn't make me like her. But I was like, okay, like she's just not. She is just not here for Ted's bullshit. Like she's just not. Is it a European thing? Because it's it felt very. Uh, it, uh, it, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I just think it's just like an extension of like human interact. I don't. I don't know if it's a European thing or maybe it's a. A thing where it's just like, okay, like she can. It didn't seem like it was played that way. It seemed like an active snub, like an intentional snub. Oh, yeah. No, that's why I think Beard saying, oh, she saw you. I mean, I thought that was important mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I had the same reaction when he was like, oh, she didn't see yes. you. I was like, mm. no, she saw. I, I would say the only other thing, it definitely was a snub. I did not mind yeah, the snub. Maybe that's the answer. Part of why I didn't mind the snub, though, is that. When she came in that morning, she was supposed to meet with Danny and work on Danny's yips because mm-hmm. he couldn't kick it anywhere mm-hmm. except straight up Ted's ass. <laughs> and by the end of the afternoon, she had also seen Colin and Zora. So, I, it, like, I'm not saying that she knew right then that there was going to be an extended role f- for her with the Greyhounds. But I think keeping a professional distance would not be a bad idea for her at that point. I wonder if this is like a socioeconomic expectation like it's unthinkable to me to not wave back unthinkable and i'm like hey what is that interesting is that is that how i was raised is that the dynamic like i part of me you know sort of like wishfully i i would love to be the kind of person that would just look at someone then look away and be like fuck you i can't even imagine doing that i don't have it in me I'd be like, I'm more Ned Flanders than I care to, you know, admit. And he'd be like, oh, well, hey, hey, howdy, neighbor. Like, I-, I can't imagine not automatically throwing my hand up and greeting someone. So part of me is fascinated by that. But I look at her and I go, you guys are intimating that she was already sussing out the the team dynamic and that she had now met with multiple players. She's already starting to patch things up with them. Wait, had she met with the multiple players? No, at this not point? yet. They, they, but it's coming. Yeah, it's coming. Right. Okay. So she, she, uh, th- this major problem that she was uh, brought to f- uh, brought into uh, to fix. It looked like one kick later, one set. At least mm-hmm. to me, I don't know about the passage of time, but it looked For like sure. one session. Mm-hmm. And Danny's first kick curls in. Yep. Um, and she's like, "My job here is done. Like I, like I am that good." So she proved her. What some people might call arrogance, or some people might call confidence, but she she put her money where her mouth was, and and like Danny was, fi- you know, by and large fixed, yeah, or at least that problem was. Um, so so at that point, were you sort of um, uh, was the I don't know? Did you sort of think that that her snubbing had anything to do with like I've done my job, I'm out of here, or was it was there any sense that like uh, you know, she thought, like, why, why waste time, like, being polite when she clearly saw him? So, I, what was it? I guess for me, like, for me, I really think she, you know, whether it's him barging in with the biscuits, you know, or whatever. Like, I think he, I think she recognizes him, you know, jumping up and singing. It's like, this is a thing he does, and it's meant to disarm me, and I don't think she's open to being disarmed. Maybe that's where I was going with that. Now that I just, yes. I, I think she's like, mm, I like being armed. 
And I'll I'll remain on yeah. Thank you. I see. So this is she recognizes right away that mm. is his weapon. Mm-hmm. I think so. Uh, he's a disarmer. Yes. yes. And she's like, nope, yes. nope, nope. I'm oh. impervious to that, whatever that thing is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Huh. And actually, now that I'm thinking about times where somebody might try to socially interact with me and I would refuse to, the I, times I'm coming up with are usually being in Chicago on the L or on mm. a bus. And if somebody makes eye contact and smile, I will look away immediately mm. if I ma- met their eyes to begin with. Like, I've got my headphones in. I have a mm-hmm. book. I am trying to not interact with people because I don't want to be hit on. I don't know. It, like, if there's stuff going on, I just want to be left alone so I could get to work. Like, I'm not interested in this right now. So it does make sense to me that she'd be like, I know you've got a thing, Ted, and it's probably working for you, but I can't get involved in this. Like, I got to do my shit over on this side. Y- you can do your dances, but I can't be brought into it. I'm going to get you a t-shirt that says, I'm not going to let you put your tongue in my mouth, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I am getting so many t-shirts. This is great. I love this. All right. So Danny, Danny curls the ball in the corner. Everybody goes crazy. Right. Everyone's happy. Um, we go to the coach's room and Beard is reading um, The Greatest by Matthew Syed. Um, and and uh, Ted says, um, they talk about a ton of new uh, emojis uh, that, <laughs> that, they were, that they had added. Um, so um, Danny comes in and he's thrilled. He says, good night. Thank you to Dr. Sharon. She's incredible. Or th- thank you for Dr. Sharon. Um, uh, Ted asks what ended up helping. And he says, even though football is life, football is also death. Mm-hmm. And then football is football too, but mostly the football is life. Mm-hmm. And Ted says, all right, I better go. Ted, he seems completely confounded by that, as am I. Uh, I don't know what she miracle she pulled to, to do that. Did, did that make sense to you guys? Or was that as... Uh, sort of cryptic as I found it. Uh, I kind of took it as her saying, like, I love the football is life and football is also death Mm -hmm. because I am a big proponent of the idea of having the balance and acknowledging and accepting that balance, that life is good, but it also involves Mm -hmm. death. Um, And that she said, and that football is football too. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a little bit that, yes, this is about what you do for a living, but also it's a game. Like, it, keep in mind the good and the bad, and also keep in mind that this is, like, one of the lowest stakes professions you could be involved mm. in. There's not a single person who is going to be dying because you didn't kick a football. Mm. It's fine. A dog, maybe. But... Uh, maybe a dog. See? Damn it. <laughs> I, I ruined it already. No, but I, I'm, with, I'm with you on, on everything you just said, boss. and And I think... In this sort of in the scope of the show, um, that football is life is a lot of fun and it's very exciting and ex- and, and all those things and very hopeful. But I, I but I think life is more complex than that, and and I think that it all that it all is true. So it felt very it felt in line with other things of that sort that I've heard that are sort of. Um, excuse me, whether it's from Buddhism or different places where there's just a sense of like, it is what it is, that kind of a vibe, but, but, but put mm-hmm. into these terms. And I think in the context of this show, season one was so much football is life and we enjoyed it. But I think 
it isn't just it isn't just life and i and i thought i thought this was a good way to 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 bring us into that and i do think that is i do think that is put there intentionally as we swing into this new season and i think that thinking that messaging that that heart will be a major part throughout that it's you know that thing we find charming maybe has a darker side. That thing that we thought was just all awful maybe isn't so bad in other cases. Um, yeah, I think there's going to be a fair amount of that. Yes, I sure hope so. <laughs> I, st- I, st- I still wasn't sure how I felt about I, I I didn't like the not waving thing. I just found it rude. I wish I wish. I wish that I, that I was kidding about this. I was just like my Midwestern sensibilities. I'm just like, uh, oh, that's not cool. All right, like whatever, lady. Um, and, and I'm I was trying to say, okay, like I'll keep an open mind about this. Um, then Danny comes in, and you know, mostly the football's life. And I thought, okay, like all right, so she was able to, uh, you know, sort of spin Danny around. That's good. She is a professional. Um, you know, Danny isn't exactly you know splitting the atom but right you know it, it, like she just was like okay i'm gonna just fix fix his sort of thing i still i was like okay so she's a professional she's good at what she does um ted says he's gonna go go up and uh sort of thanks sharon before she leaves mm-hmm. and hagan says oh you can't get in because she's in a session with colin and colin walks out says she's amazing and then Terry comes in and she speaks to him in yep. French. Fantastic. But when, and I, and I, so even as I'm reserving judgment going, okay, like, how do I feel about her? She closes the door and gives him stink eye. Okay. I, and I, I was like, whoa, I, I'd like what to, is that? I, I'd like to speak to that one, um, that the door closing specifically. And actually, I think it might have actually been the Danny door closing. So I, 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 I will I, I will put an asterisk on this. But it absolutely felt like an homage to the um, to the Godfather, like the framing the the way the door closed, the position of Ted being closed out, the body in the foreground, and and it was interesting because I went online to go, is anybody else? And 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 I found a review on Pajiba, um, that that called it out, and so I, I just thought, yeah, there's something. So there's something around power, who's in, who's out, that I feel was being communicated here, and. Ted's on the outside. He's literally on the outside looking in for this process. You mean he's not in the room where it happens? (laughs) Dear God, I quit. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I feel like if we called each other last night and planned that, it could have been any better. It could not have been any... And and my favorite part of it was like in in my joy, I could also experience Thor's pain, uh, Cast Coach Castleton's pain before he. Uh, yeah, he's yeah, he's off the call now. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I, I don't want to without the host. I don't want to be with you anymore. <laughs> um, uh, is that you not waving back at me? <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Uh, 
Never, never. Um, so we're outside the club. Keely's talking to Roy on the phone. Um, and she apologizes to Roy for using their fun night out together to try to change his mind about the pundit stuff. And she says it was tacky and she's sorry for it. And uh, she's going to go pick up Weight Rose on the way home, which is a fancy uh, supermarket. Who, who am I talking to? The fucking queen. Roy said, God, I love Roy. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. God. Uh, Roy uh, apologizes he can't because it is Yoga Mom's night. And then we get to see a glimpse of Roy um, with his crew. Yeah. That we've we've heard about, but we haven't haven't seen up close. And, yeah. Right? This is the first time we've I believe seen it so. in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're watching a TV show called Lust Conquers All. Uh, <laughs> and we see, of course, Jamie Tart, who says, I'm the, I'm the silence top scorer sexually. sexually. I was like, oh, God. Oh, God, Jamie. Like, it was this perfect, perfect reintroduction of the, of the character. I, I adored this scene. And, and, and part of what I loved about it was... They re- I don't know how I knew what those yoga moms looked like, but I knew it wasn't going to be real housewives of right of the dog track. Like I knew, oh. like, and, and so they were just perfect. Um, yeah. Sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead, boss. No, 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 no. I was just going to say that's exactly right. Roy would be with the group of women who would watch about the Real Housewives. He would never be able to put up with the Real Housewives themselves, right? Because the the Real Housewives are, you know, essentially Jamie in this situation. He's the one on the reality mm-hmm. show. It's also uh, worth pointing out right now. Jamie's kind of a knob too. Like you don't say things like "I'm the island's top scorer" sexually. Right. You don't throw out the sexually if you have any self awareness about what a good joke is. That's right. Like, we, yeah. Honey, we right. know. We know you met sexually. We always know. Yeah. No, that's a great, it's a great, this one is, it's essentially if you know what I mean at the end of your joke. Like, yes. really? Right. If you know yes. what I mean, are you serious? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was um, just a perfect reintroduction to to the character. And I thought the fact that he's loved in that room oh, was sure. just, I mean, perfection. I, I did you, I mean, did you have a reaction one way or the other to it? Cause I, I just loved that. They loved Jamie and that you knew it was killing Roy inside. Oh, absolutely. It was 100% killing him. He hated everything about it. He hated, I'm sure that he hated that Jamie was on the show to begin with, because this is a way that Jamie is succeeding in a venue other than mm-hmm. football where Roy has not been able to figure it out yet. That is and in his and in his safe space with these moms who don't know who right. he is and like him because they like him, not because he's mm-hmm. a footballer. They love Jamie, who Roy cannot stand. So, like, yeah, of course, you, of course. You know, you know, it's interesting. This just struck me about what the, the dynamic you just laid out, and that he's hating that piece. He what does he ask for? He asks for more rosé, right? Which is its own. It's funny. <laughs> But yes. but also when Wings Night drives him crazy, he asks for a drink. He's looking to numb. Roy doesn't want to feel, and I think yes. that's worth yeah. us like being aware of going into this season. It's like Roy does not want to feel like that is actively something he's yes. about right now. Yeah, 
And I think um, I can't remember if it was in a post or in a chat because I talked to you guys about Ted Lasso a lot, <laughs> but I believe Coach Castleton has pointed out, does anyone on the show drink any water? <laughs> I think that alcohol is going to become a big That's thing fair. later in episodes, but yes, there's a, there's I a lot mean, of alcohol. I don't know. The British do love a pint, but yes, there's a lot of alcohol yeah. happening. Actually, I was glad, uh, Coach, that you that you highlighted that because I thought about it and I was like, yeah, there is, there's a fit. Like, for a workplace in this era, there is a lot of drinking, it feels like to me. There's almost, like, a few times in uh, Rebecca's office, it's had a little bit of a uh, Don Draper afternoon vibe that I'm like, really? Like, it, it, it is a bit much yeah. sometimes, yeah. Is there another character on this show? I'm I'm just I'm just uh trying to think about it, but Roy plays against type so well. Like the way his character is structured, he is the tough guy of of professional football. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he come you you leave that and you get to see him in his element where he's like, Can I get some more rose, please, Dennis? Like, you know, it's like <laughs> it's so charming. He's you know, the yoga mo- the, the whole thing is just so it's it's you know in in complete opposition to his outward persona. Mm-hmm. Is there any other character like that in the show? Is that why Roy stands out so much in this show? Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're gonna we're gonna come to blows about the direction certain characters go in right, this right, season. Right. But I, but I don't think anyone is going to have a problem with. I could be wrong. Maybe I'll, I, I'll stand corrected. But I, I don't think there's anyone else that actively plays against type the way Roy does. Not against type, but I would say an an uh, an equivalent amount of uh, nuance. Put it that way is beard, and I think oh. I find beard to be just a really interesting layered. He's kind of there's a book and I'm not, but the basic basically it's like the seven characters of comedy and it's actually a pretty good book. At any rate, um, he's that character who's in their own universe, but he's also other things. And I just think, um, yeah, so I find him to have sort of similar texture, but Roy is singular in terms of. I mean, you know, he's the one who curses in every scene, but at the same time is. You know, having what, what was it they had uh, when they were the first time when he couldn't uh, meet up with uh, Keeley? They they had to go. Somebody was getting Janice was having a divorce. I mean, it's you know what is happening. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. When 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 Roy and I had to have our fight because he uh, blew up, I did not accept Katie's over or Keeley's overture for mm-hmm. a date because. They had yoga and then they had to go to a club because of Maureen's <laughs> divorce and she needed to blow up some steam. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm Roy. Yeah, Roy. Roy is fascinating. I, I for me, when he's coaching the kids, that is so me coaching kids. Like it really did that. That was a level of uh. A, a particular, like, I felt like I had a particular moment of humor when he was barking at those kids because there have absolutely been moments where I've driven home going, in fairness, they are children. 
you know there have definitely been moments where i'm like well you know um so yeah i I just loved um i love that but i think also that he's he's being genuine and the kids get it and they love him for it and I think thinking about, again, sort of stuff that's hitting me right now as we're talking about all this stuff, having that in contrast to Ted trying to dunk Dr. Sharon in some milk and her going, man, I'm good. Uh, it's interesting. That's at, at the very least, that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So I was thinking when you said beard that he sort of plays against type. I I think I categorized him one time last season as a uh, confident band nerd, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is my entire wheelhouse. <laughs> like a, a bragging about how you uh, won state in chess in high school. Yes, I'm signing up for that. So I didn't know if I read it as reading against type so much as finding my type. Um, but I do agree. I'd also say I feel like Higgins a little bit plays against type mm. in that. I don't know if you would expect him to be that kind of guy that is like wildly happily married with five children leading to certain implications about how uh, Mr. And Mrs. Higgins feel about each other and playing the stand-up bass and doing some mm-hmm. of those things. Um, I, I do think that Roy is the one that does it most. I think that Roy is the one that does it the most mm-hmm. honestly in that he's not necessarily afraid of showing you the other sides. It's just, he's not comfortable letting you know about it right away. Um, but yeah, I, I do think he's also maybe most himself most of the time. He's hiding the least is definitely. Yeah, I think. he's hiding the least. I think that's right. He's hiding the least. And and I think that's why we see the, why the, the, oh no, I'm fine. I'll just coach nine-year-old girls in soccer and that'll keep me fulfilled for the rest of my days. It seems so ridiculous because we're like absolutely yeah. not right like what do you like what are you talking about like there's no way that's yes. true um yeah so that's even that's actually the out of character part in, in in fairness in fairness he did seem like he was having a good time doing that coaching the kids yeah oh no coaching the kids is fantastic but you know come on man like that's going to be your career now like <laughs> like i mean yeah i i don't think that he disliked it i just also think how long are you going to be able to coach the West London girls under nine <laughs> if your niece isn't there? Yeah, that's a thing. You know. Okay, that's it. The moms love Jamie. We're at the end of the episode. Two, two, uh, two-parter. We've never done a two-parter before. How you guys? Not. I, I loved it. I, I, I actually, I there was a lot in here, and I think there's a lot in here in particular because you're reacting to where we left off and where does it feel like this is sending us? And I think several potential paths were laid out um, in terms of how things were going to unfold. So yeah, I think there was just a a ton in there. I will say I did end this um, episode cackling that the, the, the moms love Jamie. I just, Roy looks so tortured and angry and sad. And I just cackled into the credits um, on that one. Yeah, I was uh, pretty glad to see Jamie's heart had not been left by mm-hmm, the wayside. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that there's a lot in this episode. I think that there is going to be a lot more as we move through it that 
we're going to be looking at structurally and also the realities of filming the show when they did putting out the second season the way that they did. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot to go along here, but it is ambivalent as I was about the first episode. I do like that they ended on the note about Roy still hating Jamie. Because if nothing else in this world, you know, mm-hmm. regardless of how he eventually changes, Roy is always going to hate Jamie a little bit. <laughs> and that's comforting. I mean, it's funny because when they toasted in season one at the end of the banquet and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I got the sense that even if they became friends, they'd be those friends. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like yes. I, have a fr- I have friends who are like one friend I have. We met because I wanted to fight him. Like, I'd heard he had said some shit about me. <laughs> uh, and his name right, was Thor. All right. But, yeah, he, I remember. I, he was, I was looking for him. I was like, oh, we're going to fight. You know, and so I, that's so I think they would, even at their best, there would always be a little undercurrent of one of us could get punched in the face. Let's see how this plays out. And those are always the best relationships from the outside. Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Always the ones I like watching the most. <laughs> the possibility Get that somebody's the getting face. punched Ooh. anytime now. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. See what happens. All right. Well, I'm going to enjoy this kumbaya moment because my, my spidey sense says that we're about to diverge drastically as we continue with this podcast. I know. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry in advance. Because <laughs> I know. <laughs> These are going to be uncharted waters. We all were. It was such a love letter in season one. And we got through this uh, two part episode uh, mm-hmm. almost unscathed. But I think uh, there's yeah. some treacherous waters ahead. Listeners, I'm going to be the metaphorical army man that you can put on your metaphorical desk to metaphorically protect your metaphorical favorite show from metaphorical meanies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's. Uh, I'm going to. Throw that soldier right in the garbage. <laughs> wow. All right. On that note, uh, we are Richmond Till We Die, and we'll see you next week. The TedCast is a joint venture between Pajiba and The Antagonist. Visit us at pajiba.com and antagonistblog.com.